Hello, listeners. Welcome to the Content Clearinghouse. I'm Brett Chisholm. Yeah, you are. I'm Josh Evans. And on today's episode, I make my glorious return to the show. You're welcome, everyone. So on the off top, I keep it light by discussing a slowly dying robot arm art piece called Can't Help Myself that just can't seem to help itself despite its best efforts. Then Josh opens up a can of spider ass. Uh, He told me to say that. Uh, With the controversial stance that Andrew Garfield is actually the greatest of all the live action spidering men, and he almost has me convinced. I'm just going to have to watch all eight Spider-Man movies to decide whether or not I agree with his spidery thesis. He argues his point by doing a deep dive into Garfield's first Spider-Man movie, The Amazing Spider-Man. Josh, it's good to be back on the show. My spidey senses are already tingling. You still got it, right? Movies, shows, and video games. Podcast books and their acclaims. Let their favorite content become yours. It's the Content Clearing House. Content Clearing House. And it starts right now. Brett. Josh. How aren't you? It's great to see <laughs> your beautiful face on my oh, television screen, my computer screen, rather. I'm so excited, and yeah. I don't think you even caught that I asked you, how aren't you? I'm I don't want to hear how happy you are. <laughs> nothing uh, in my life is, nothing notable has been happening. I'm having a great time. I took up climbing. I'm, a, oh, I'm awesome. an indoor rock climber now. I figure if I start, it's like indoor skydiving. If I start indoor rock climbing, eventually I'll be a real rock climber. Totally. There's probably it's some simple indoor, math. There's probably some indoor climbers that take offense to that, because indoor skydiving is a sport in and of itself, independent of skydiving, and they go hand in hand together as well. So I'm sure indoor rock climbing, as I've noticed, the sport of climbing and skydiving has a lot of parallels. I'm sure indoor rock climbing is also its own legitimate sport. I mean, I've only been a few times, but it seems like, I mean, indoor rock climbing is mostly bouldering, right? And it's a lot of... No, I mean, you can do top roping, you can do lead climbing. There's, I mean, you can have super challenging... Yeah, okay. Maybe I've only been to bouldering gyms. Then. Yeah, well, you, they kind of go hand in hand as well. But bouldering, you don't have, you're not on a rope with a partner belaying you. I mean, you can have like straight up like super difficult lead climbing uh, indoors as well. And I'm talking I like I know what I'm talking about. And I don't. <laughs> I've gone like six times, but I have shoes now and I have a harness. Oh, well, that's the so. first step towards greatness. <laughs> buying shoes but i've noticed with indoor it seems like the places i've gone it was there were very specific routes they were marked with colors where i went and it's like if you want to climb this route you have to use only these handholds so it was it seemed like very intricate problem solving that had been engineered by whoever set their courses up to be like varying degrees of difficulty is that kind of what bouldering is indoors absolutely well yeah indoor climbing or or bouldering but you'll have uh like there was one that i did at the gym the other day that is a no hands route so you can only you can press your body up against the slab is what they would call it uh, an underhung slab but you can't use any handholds and so you're like just on the precipice like it's perfectly designed so that if you keep your center of gravity like you're right up against the wall, uh, you won't fall off. But it really feels like something out of like a action film or something. <laughs> like you're really like trusting your feet and your balance. Um, and you know this was not bouldering. This was you know I was on a rope with a belay partner, and I like 
you know, at the top, you're at like 30 feet or something. So you feel the fear. It's a lot of fun, man. I'm super that into it, but I would like to take cool. I would like to take this skill set eventually to the outdoors and put my hands on some real rocks sometime. Oh, yeah. Well, seems like you're going to build a lot of like technique and upper body strength that you need, right? Doing bouldering and doing indoor climbing. Yeah, look, look at, Whoa, this. Look at, these look guns. at those guns. Yeah, it's because oh, I'm doing man. it wrong. You're supposed to use your legs. <laughs> oh yeah, you're cheating. That's I'm, why you have those massive biceps. I'm pulling myself up. You're supposed to. It's I have horrible technique, just awful. Yeah. So well, you'll get there one day. Just yeah. give it another 15 years, like you did in <laughs> indoor skydiving, to reach any level of acceptability. Exactly. So what's new with you, buddy? <laughs> oh man, uh, I'll spare you the details on this, but uh, my primary concern for the last week has been potty training our two-year-old and if you had (laughs) told me before having children that I would one day be this obsessed with another human's bathroom procedures I would not have believed a word to come out of your lion mouth Brett but Mm. I've been obsessing over it and it's going great so congratulations to our little two-year-old well I congratulations yeah, please pass on my compliments to the uh, proverbial chef. As soon as uh, as soon as Violet learns to speak English, I'll let her know how proud okay. of her you are. Excellent. You know, when you 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 were talking about um, something that's been occupying you, I thought it was going to be about these horrible fires I've seen in Colorado that wiped mm. out like thousands of homes. Um, so I'm kind of relieved it's about. Uh, one of your daughter's uh, bathroom habits, to be honest, that seems a lot less intense than a fire. Seems blaze. trivial. It does, by comparison. It does. The photo you texted me when the fires were licking at your doorstep—I guess this is a couple weeks ago—but the time has blurred in my life right now. But it's it, that was an insane picture. I can't believe you took that. Well, it looked worse than it was because I took it with the uh, long exposure mode. So it really like brightened up the the bloom off the fire. And uh, I mentioned this on the last show. I told Nick about it, but there was a time for about, it was about two hours where there were these rolling evacuation orders that were coming towards us. So we started packing everything up to evac, but then luckily the wind shifted. And I think the closest the fires ever got to our house was about three or four miles, which that's a decent distance, but you know, we had 70 mile an hour winds that day. So it was, it was traveling very quickly. Luckily it didn't go anywhere near us. And, uh, Melissa and I went out the a few days after, and we just drove through the area. It was so sad, man. It like, I just feel for those people so much. It's, you know, it looked like a nuke went off. It was so awful. Ugh, I, and, I, uh, I can't imagine that. But, you know, it's, it's uh, something interesting. Our mutual friend, uh, Byron, uh, skydiver and real estate agent extraordinaire, he kind of pointed out something interesting when I touched base with him recently. It's been just horrible for, like, these communities. And and also, it's kind of thrown the real estate market into a bit of a, um, a doozy because some of these homes were purchased and you know, sold, and in the process of being exchanged, and so there was one Man. family that had been living there for, you know, however long, that uh, handed over the home. Everything was done and closed and signed, sealed, delivered, and they had a bunch of cash and were walking away. And then this house burned down. So you have somebody God. that had no house, no cash, 
and the house they were moving into is gone. Right. So it's like such a bizarre. And this is that, that happened times 100. Right. Because it, there's just a lot of homes trading it's over hands right a now. Thousand homes burned. Yeah. Like the something that we were talking about is, I mean, there's fire insurance that covers things like this. But Melissa and I were talking and we're just thinking no amount of money is going to make a thousand extra homes appear in this state. You know, it's just, there's nowhere to put people from what I understand. So I don't know. I I don't know what's going to happen and what's happening with it, but it's, it's just such a massive tragedy that it seems like people will probably be feeling the ramifications of this for years. Well, uh, I've been really excited to hear what your off top is for quite a while now, Brett. So we should do this thing. Absolutely. Well, I, you know, I, it's been a while since we've, uh, seen each other's, um, visage over zoom or whatever app we're using here. And I know we wanted to keep things a little lighthearted. So I found just this, uh, incredibly haunting art piece that I wanted to bring <laughs> to right. the shit. You know exactly what lightens my heart. I do. I do. This is a, like tailor made for you. I have a feeling that you've seen this possibly. It's hard to imagine that you haven't, but I know you don't spend as much time on Reddit as I do. And I think that I saw this on Reddit for the first time. Um, but I have, you know, it's crossed my mind several times and then digging into uh, doing a little more research and just staring into this, like this dark artistic genius. Um, it may, you know, I had to prepare and, uh, and it's incredibly moving, but it is definitely haunting. So the art piece is called can't help myself. And it's uh, it comes from Chinese artists. I'm probably going to mispronunciate this. Uh, Sun Yuan and Peng Yu. It was installed in 2016. It was originally commissioned by the Guggenheim, which is uh, it's in New York City. It's a famous, actually, Frank Lloyd Wright design museum. But essentially, it is this robotic arm that is constantly leaking hydraulic fluid. Have you seen this thing? <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> It looks like something out of Dexter. Okay, a, yeah. I mean, yeah, I can see when I zoom in on it that it's more brown than red, but uh, from the thumbnails, it looked like splattered blood. It looked like a crime scene cleanup robot, basically. Totally. So, actually, hydraulic fluid is red. So, this this isn't, you know, it's, I mean, that's just the color of hydraulic fluid. It's not Ooh. made to uh, specifically to look like blood, but I, I think there was some intentionality in that, you know, um, or just like some artistic disturbing. overlap. So essentially this, this robotic arm that's leaking this hydraulic fluid, it's, its purpose is to constantly shovel this leaking hydraulic fluid back into like a reservoir at the base. It has this like squeegee appendage. And the artist actually programmed 32 different movements, including scratching an itch and an ass shake. Um, and it, <laughs> it definitely has an uncanny sort of organic movement to it. Actually, Sounds like I need to see uh-huh. video of this. I saw pictures just now, but I think video would you do... You need to see video of this. The uh, real justice to it. Definitely. Um, actually, one of the 32 movements is a little happy dance it does when it has momentarily accomplished the task of preserving all this, you know, this bloody-looking <laughs> hydraulic fluid in the proper place before this endless leak just starts spilling out again. Um, so I'm going to share a couple sources for this. One article comes from loosetooth.com, another from Newsweek, and then a blog called Design Boom. 
and I really liked all three of these articles because I could find they have different reactions and takes on this, um, including some of this super haunting video uh, that I stared into. Um, there's some Instagram posts of people sharing their response to this. One of the articles pointed out that the robot is placed within a transparent cage type thing. And it almost looks like a creature that's been captured and put on display. Yeah. It looks like in starship troopers where they bring in the, uh, they bring in the captured bug. Yeah. It's like in a big glass box, and then they censor it when they blow it away, blow its legs off. It looks like a room like that. Definitely. Oh, it's, you know, and it's like surrounded by like onlookers. And I mean, it's the size of it too. Like, it, you know, if you just see it by itself, you'd, I don't think you really get a sense for how large this thing is. Um, so the, the Loose Tooth article features an Instagram post where a user writes, uh, quote, no piece of art has ever emotionally affected me the way this robot arm piece has. Whoa. The videos of this thing are truly bizarre. Um, I would really like to have seen this in person. Um, also, Why did he say it was so affecting to him? Just the uncanny valley nature and the appearance of leaking blood all over the room yeah maybe maybe that it's like such a inorganic i mean you can check out the instagram post on that um in the show notes i'll i'll post links to these articles but uh my guess is that it just looks so much like a living thing and it's basically dying you're watching this thing slowly die even though it's inorganic i mean it's just a robot it's you know it's we can see the parallels like this hydraulic fluid is like it's life force i mean it's it needs this fluid to continue functioning and its purpose is to sort of keep scooping this in and keep surviving but the inevitable eventually will happen and it's kind of like a in my opinion it's just a reflection of the futility of life i oh. think <laughs> yeah this seems like something out of a war movie where like a uh, yeah. injured soldiers trying to put their guts back in right. you know this is the kind of one it reminds me of yeah. so the uh so the the very fluid movement of this thing is what gives it that uncanny valley appearance which i believe is actually originally a term used for robotics not you know it's been adopted by like the cgi community sure. uncanny valley but i think it was initially uh that that term was coined to describe like androids, like robots. Yeah, I think you so. Know? Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, sounds really interesting. It is for sure, and you know there, I there's probably people that were lucky enough to follow the slow evolution of this as well, because I mean this 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 art piece at the beginning, this the the leak was slow, and so there it had a lot of happy dances. Because uh, it was always successfully, you know, doing its job, it would get this hydraulic fluid back in its reservoir, and then it would have time to sort of dance around. But um, as the leak got worse over the years that this thing was on display, you know, it's it f- finally started to look worn down. I mean, it w- it didn't That's have time. It didn't have time to do the happy little da- dances because it was, uh, you know, it just continued to frantically try to pull all this stuff back in, but the spill just kept growing and growing. And finally, in 2019, uh, it was game over. the the arm The robot arm finally ran out of hydraulic fluid, oh, and it just no. it slowly came to a halt. Not help itself, <laughs> and it died. And it's cra- it's crazy to me to think that this was 
you know, like 100%, it was the point of this project. I mean, it was to see like... To die? Totally. I mean, it was like... Interesting. It was like they... they it was inevitable. They created this leak. This leak got worse. You know, it just was left to its own devices. It was programmed to live as long as, as possible, but they knew that eventually this leak would overcome its ability to contain it. Um, but at the same time, wow. like looking at it, like, you know, you could just go in there and tighten this screw or replace this hose or whatever, whatever they, uh, you know, sabotaged. And it seems like a weirdly preventable mechanical death almost. <laughs> But well, um, it seems like they specifically programmed and designed this to torture this thing until it died, which is pretty awesome, I will say. <laughs> pretty awesome use of a robot. Yeah, I, I mean, it definitely is making a statement. Um, I think it can be interpreted different ways, but, uh, you know, it's it's not one. It's not like looking at an expressionistic, you know, uh, Jackson Pollock and trying to, like, imbue some meaning. Like, this seems pretty clear cut to me and i like that i like just how like simplified this message really is at least in my opinion um, well yeah. these artists can rest assured that this will be a, a prime example of why humanity needs to be exterminated when the robot <laughs> overlords come to rule us all oh they're gonna find so these thanks YouTube for that. clips and like we are done we are done. That's like great, great, great grandpa that we just like murdered for our, you know, artistic amusement. Butterfly effect. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Man, yeah. that is great off top, buddy. Yeah. Well. Way to bring it back to the show. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Find some of the time lapse videos and uh, prepare to fall in love and also be haunted. I know you like those two things. Love and being love haunted. Being haunted. <laughs> it's one of my four favorite feelings. Well, that's great, man. So um, I hope your content circuit is just as entertaining. It's not as dark, that's for sure. Um, you know, my content circuit's been a little by the wayside because of my work schedule. Um, it, I do have like a Marvel uh, platform trifecta, if you will, because oh. I, I've consumed... The, you know, in theater entertainment of the new newest Spider-Man installment. The greatest cinematic <laughs> moment in human history. Yes. One of the most important contentology um, watershed moments. Absolutely. The Citizen Kane of our time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> oh, man. Absolutely. And then uh, let's see. I'm, I ha uh, watched Hawkeye. Now that was on Disney+. Plus. And then, of course, I'm still working my way through uh, Daredevil. Now I'm into uh, season three. And this is not Daredevil, the horrible movie with um, Ben Affleck. <laughs> no, I'm talking about the Charlie Cox wonderful uh, Matt Murdock spin with Foggy and and so what's her good. name? <laughs> it's really fantastic. Oh, yeah, I know that. I know who you're talking about. Oh, what's her name? Oh, yeah. what's her name? Yeah. I, it and is didn't you also watch fantastic. Punisher? You know, I have back in the back in the day. I will probably be watching Punisher after I finish oh. uh, Netflix Daredevil. Um, it's the perfect lead up for it because it oh, is definitely. a prequel to the Punisher show. I know how much you love John Burt. What is it? Burtham? Burntham? Burnthal. Burnthal. Yeah, he's one there of my favorites. Is. Yeah, I did a almost an entire show just talking about him. Yeah, and then I. I uh, I wrapped it loosely in a Punisher package. I can't wait to hear about the Punisher package. I haven't gotten the chance to listen to that episode yet, but uh, it's a good one. I definitely. I do say so myself. I, I believe it. 
Um, Vincent D'Onofrio, as well as Kingpin, like definitely just excellent casting. Oh yeah, he's perfect as Kingpin. Absolutely. That seems like a hard one to cast because you need need like someone with a an inhumanly large and imposing uh, appearance and presence, and mm-hmm. he definitely pulls that off. Now, have that you seems watched, like a hard uh, thing to do as a now human. Have you watched Hawkeye? Uh, I've watched a little bit of the first episode, but okay. I didn't have time to sit down and get into it. Should I commit to it? Is it? I, sh- I, mean, it's, I, I would. It's I would, Disney especially show. as a as a Netflix Daredevil fan. There's actually some crossover, really? which is really really interesting. Yeah, and oh, then cool. also, I d- there's no spoilers here, but all you know, there's a little tie over with the new Spider Man film as well, oh, which is very interesting. interesting. Yeah, with with the uh, uh, Netflix Daredevil, but. Uh, that's cool to see those getting yeah. a little bit more love because they've yes, been kind of black sheep of the Marvel <laughs> yeah. community, as I mentioned in my fantastic episode about John Bernthal. <laughs> Way to plug our own show <laughs> on our show. That's that's uh, meta. Exactly. Hell. Uh, rate and review on iTunes. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it's not all Marvel content. I have consumed the newest Matrix installment. And uh, yeah, uh, Resurrections. That is... Quite interesting. It's an interesting take. I really, I enjoyed it. I will say I enjoyed it. Nick and I discussed it, and I think we came up with it being like a solid 70%. Like, I thought it started off really awesome, and then I felt just a little, the ending was just a little lackluster. But, I mean, it it's what I've come to expect from Matrix sequels, because you can never live up to the first one. It's yeah. just never going to, it's never even going to come close. So as a Matrix Matrix sequel, I think it was actually my favorite. Yeah, I w- okay. Yeah, that's it's it. You know, it's a trap that uh, the Wachowskis put themselves into by just mm-hmm. being so damn good with their first film. This is the problem with being Excellence. good at something. Absolutely, you have to follow the corporate growth model, <laughs> consistently making more money or getting better, and that is not an easy thing to do with artistic expression some Especially, would say it's impossible exactly just ask the wachowskis <laughs> and uh case in point all three matrix sequels yeah well uh what is on your content circuit i have been almost solely obsessed with one thing actually i go- i'm going back and i'm rereading the terminal list which I talked oh, about a long yeah. time ago on this show oh, yeah. because uh, I just recently finished a really great uh, kind of like a assassination novel series and it got me in a terminalist mood. So I'm going back to reread that as I am wont to do with my weird obsession with rereading books several times in my life. <laughs> but uh, the main thing, and I mentioned this last time as well, but the main thing I've been focused on, obsessed with is got a PS5 and I've been playing the the Spider-Man games pretty much non nonstop. You know, the seeing the movie really got me in the mood and then those <laughs> games are just so great. It's a like the swinging mechanics. It just feels like what you imagine being Spider-Man would would feel like and it looks that way. It's the kind of game that you know, if you're like on the phone on hold or something, you just put it on and just swing around the city and it's so good. You have like a you have a trick button so in freefall you can hit the trick button and throw like flip twists and back layouts and you can like link them together. And uh, just the, 
the thought of like Spider-Man intentionally being a trick flyer while he's swinging around the city is something that really resonates with me. So that's totally. been my, that's been the thing that I've been going to sleep thinking about every night. So, so this, that and Violet's diapers. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> it's They're, a healthy uh, it's, mix. It's like a, the scales of justice they're <laughs> yeah. just perfectly balance those it's two things part of your well-balanced diet yes exactly so Ugh. which uh spider-man uh <laughs> which spider-man interpretation is this in the game is this like a miles morales is this a uh toby mcguire like or is this sort of a new game spinoff well as you know spider-man loves to do it's uh, a different character i mean it's peter parker but it's like a completely different voice actor and everything. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, but the precedent has been laid down that we all know that Peter Parker exists in l- unlimited iterations across the Spider-Verse. So there's one full game committed uh, or uh, dedicated to Sky- Spider-Man, and then there is a PS5 game that came out. It was like one of the launch titles with the PS5 designed to just show off all the incredible hardware and the ray tracing and crazy reflections that system can do. And it's a Miles Morales game. Oh, very cool. So I played that one first and then, you know, I finished it in like 10 hours and it came with a remastered version of the Spider-Man PS4 game. So I just started playing that again and now I'm just completely obsessed. Wow. That's awesome. One of these days I'll be gaming again. That'd be great, man. We had some really good times. <laughs> yes, we did. Back in the old crewbar house. That was some of the best of my life, buddy. Absolutely. Check me out. I'm dancing. <laughs> I'm dancing. I'm dancing. <laughs> oh, man. I saw. I was looking at Portals like in on the back of my eyelids. We played Portals 2 for like eight hours straight one day. Beat the entire game on co-op mode. And uh, it scrambled my that brains. Game, I was never the same after you that. Thinking <laughs> yeah. In a completely different way. About the way the world works. It does for sure. Well, let's take a quick break. And then when we get back, when we come back, Josh is going to talk content. content? All right. Welcome back to the content clearinghouse. Josh, what are you going to bless my ear holes with on this episode of the content clearinghouse? Well, Brett, I know this might be a little bit of a long shot, but you like Spider-Man, right? (laughs) (laughs) Who? (laughs) Oh, no. I did not do enough homework for this. Uh, Spider who? Yeah. Uh, I mean, as we all know, the world has been in a Spider-Man frenzy. Uh, Just see our latest content circuit discussion. And uh, the MCU has consistently created worldwide uh, worldwide hype for characters that were once considered to be the realm of the world's super nerds. And, uh, you know, when I was growing up, comic books were for people who spent their nights and weekends at comic book shops collecting rare runs of obscure books for a variety of reasons, ranging from the love of the art form, uh, an outlet for life that feels powerless, or searching for a community of like-minded nerds and potentially creating a retirement fund of rare comics to one yeah, day be sold absolutely. or perhaps be passed down to another generation. And I know all of these reasons intimately because that's exactly how I spent a good part of my childhood. <laughs> were you, which category were you or were you just a, a conglomerate of all of them? 
Well, when I was putting together that list of things, I just listed all the reasons I collect <laughs> comic books. <laughs> so that was my personal journey. Yeah, you hit the uh, nail on the head for sure. But thanks to Marvel and the MCU, these stories that nerds grew up loving and knowing, uh, knowing these things offer true literary experiences and artistic genius, uh, these kind of things are no longer obscure, and they're actually becoming some of the most well-known and recognized properties humanity has ever produced. So it's been uh, it's quite the uh, leap to get where we are today. It and, is. And you know what? I want to address any comic book purists out there, any graphic novel uh, traditionalists. Uh, I think it's awesome that it's mainstream. So screw you. Yes. If you if yes. you don't think that it's freaking awesome that we get to watch Thor fight with Hulk and Ragnarok, like come on. I think I think Anybody? overall, like whoever said like whoever was trying to say that they were into comic books before things went mainstream, which was not me. Hipsters. I, like I had a couple of uh, you know I had a couple of X Files comic books. I wasn't a big comic book guy, but like the MCU. They have just done like wondrous, fantastical things, just incredibly, uh, you know, and it and it shows with just how much money they're pulling in that this is like a success story of epic proportions that's never been uh, done before and will probably never be duplicated again. Um, but yeah, I think overall the sentiment's pretty positive, right? Yeah, are you are you do you have any super nerdy comic book friends that are like not into how mainstream it is? Uh, not now. I can imagine people uh, when I was growing up having those thoughts, but anyone who is offended by their hobby going mainstream is probably just ashamed of their hobby. You know, mm. it's, if you're if you are not stoked by something you're into blowing up into worldwide appeal, you're just either being a jerk or you seem like you might have some issues revolving around your own love of that thing. And uh, what's so great about the MCU is that it's the closest thing that you could possibly get to a cinematic experience of a true comic book because comics are all about these interconnected stories, the cameo appearances of of main characters and other characters' stories. And that's the kind of thing that just seems impossible in the world of Hollywood – for, I mean, the, um, the minimum of reasons would be how difficult it is to get the contracts together, contract disputes and property rights, like all the boring stuff that ruins all the content that people love. That seems like it'd be the biggest roadblock for MCU ever happening, but alas, here we are. Well, Brett, I'm sure you know that none of these stories have a wider mass appeal than Spider-Man. Now, I was not a huge Marvel fan growing up. I was an image comics guy. Marvel was, in my day, a bit played out and very old school in the early 90s when I discovered comics. And Image was the hip new comic book producer on the block. It was a company that was spun out by disgruntled Marvel employees, felt that the culture at Marvel was too restricted and wanted to be uh, more violent, tell more mature stories. But the reasons... Uh, for collecting comics, it was the same. It was art, power, fantasy, nerd community, and hopes that I would someday end up with that million-dollar comic book in my collection, which, again, did not happen. Yet. But it, yet, maybe. <laughs> I have to start collecting comics again. <laughs> I hear they're popular now. Uh, it took Kevin Feige and the MCU to really interest me in Marvel characters. And if you think about the sta- staying power of these stories, 
image really had very little in the way of generational characters that stand the test of time. Like Spawn, maybe. The big one would be The Walking Dead, which was an image comic. Mm, yeah, that's, a, that's actually a graphic novel. Like, I didn't get the individual comic book um, episodes or I guess whatever you'd call them, like, but I, I had the volume. Yeah, issues. I had like a volume yeah. of like one through 46. Um, and it actually stayed pretty close to that. I mean, the show stayed close to the graphic novel for for the most for part. For a while. For a while. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it really is a testament to how great Marvel's characters are. I mean, they've been revived for a new audience and they're here to stay. Uh, the MCU is not going anywhere. And it it just goes to show what terrible taste I had as a child being into image comics. Classic child, not knowing goodness when it's right in front of you. So today, I am going to take the unpopular stance that The Amazing Spider-Man 1 with Andrew Garfield is the best live-action Spider-Man movie outside of the MCU whose consistency is unrivaled. And this stance is so unpopular that when I told you that Andrew Garfield was my favorite Spider-Man, you, my fellow contentologist, simply replied, fuck you. That is what you told me. <laughs> I, I, I kind of remember this text conversation. but Right I, when I got out of the movie theater, I messaged you and that's what you told me. Now, are you... So, so wait, you're, are you including Tom Holland in this judgment as well? No. No, oh, outside of the MCU. Outside the MCU. Yeah. Okay. But, I mean, so, Tobey Maguire's like a classic car, bro. He's great, but I got a lot of good points of why Andrew, Andrew Garfield's better. So. I feel like you could do a whole episode on it, possibly. Yeah, I mean, it might be exactly <laughs> what I'm doing here, and I wrote this just for you. Oh, excellent. So, before going to see No Way Home, I did my homework. I rewatched Raimi's Spider-Man 2. I rewatched uh-huh. The Amazing Spider-Man 1, which I'll just be referring to as TASM from here on out because that is the uh, that's the acronym. Mm-hmm. And Venom, Let There Be Carnage, as well as finishing Far From Home for the first time. And I did all of that the night before I went to see <laughs> the new Spider-Man movie. You did it right. This contentology you it right. for you. That and is- of all these films, <laughs> TASM was the one that held my attention all the way through. Now, it might have been my familiarity with Spider-Man 2 because I've seen it a million times or the inarguably lesser quality of the Venom films, or it may have been that there hasn't been a better Peter Parker on screen than Andrew Garfield, or the fact that this film embraces the juxtaposition of being an awkward geek with no money that also happens to be the most powerful person in New York City, that the Sam Raimi films, they just can't even touch it. It's just, it's such a, it's such a good part of this story. Uh, and I think that those two things are important. The uh, kind of the Peter Parker who doesn't have any power in his real life coupled with how awesome being Spider-Man must be. And that's yeah. something that's also sorely lacking in the MCU films. Like Tom Holland's Spider-Man, while he is an awkward geek, he has the support of the Avengers. He has Stark tech and access to all manner of safe houses and base locations thanks to Fury and Happy Hogan. That's... Yeah. uh that's, that's a, a weird part of the MCU storyline. That's an interesting. Uh, that's a you know that's an interesting observation. I hadn't really pinpointed how much of a character uh, difference that is, but you couldn't really have like a super broke ass Peter Parker getting pulled into uh, the Avengers, and like you know Tony Stark wouldn't leave him high and dry in these battles, especially with kind of the 
um, the storyline that he's that this is like a protege. He's taking him under his wing. He's taking care of him. Like he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't be out there with like his, you know, swim goggles and red sweatpants for sure. That's a great yeah. point, Josh. I can't, I can't believe this wasn't at the forefront of my mind. <laughs> well, good but thing you no came to hang out with a fellow <laughs> contentologist. Then Andrew Garfield's Peter Parker never had a old, the awkward Olga that was in love with. Him. Yeah, give it him cookies. Okay, oh, yeah, give it him yeah. cookies. Yeah. <laughs> you know, all of this is a good time to bring up why has Spider-Man been rebooted so often? Uh it does seem like a lot, right? It's there's three different uh different film universes basically, which is a lot for one character. So since 2002 Some might we've say had, though it's just the right amount. Hey, I've seen Spider-Man. Some yeah, might have used. Some might have. Some might used to say it's too yeah. many times. Some might be not saying anymore. now it's just the right amount. Well, there's been there have been eight <laughs> different standalone live-action Spider-Man movies with three different main actors, and uh, I'm sure it's no surprise to anyone that the reason for this is all about money. <laughs> So, as much as we like to believe that the content we obsess over is made for the love of the game, that's simply not true. It's all about maximizing profits for these corporations, Marvel and Sony in this case. Ah, and yes, the, the true power of the universe. Where all art comes from. <laughs> in the early 2000s, Marvel was not the cultural and entertainment touchstone that it is today. It was really a failing comic book company with relatively unknown properties outside of a few that had weaseled their way into popular culture. And the Raimi Spider-Man films produced by Columbia Pictures. See, I didn't know that before this. I thought it was Sony. Uh, But those starring Tobey Maguire were an important part of that push towards bringing superheroes into the popular limelight. Now, because Marvel was struggling so much financially... After Raimi's trilogy, they decided to license Spider-Man's cinematic rights out to Sony, with one stipulation being that Sony had to reboot the character. So, Sony had plans to create its own shared universe based on Spider-Man right around the same time Marvel was rolling out the MCU. So they created the first TASM film in 2012 with the intention of having Andrew Garfield lead this push as the new flagship character. Now, the first TASM film made a respectable $757.9 million at the box office, so it did warrant a sequel. But with TASM 2's declining in profits to $709 million and the lukewarm reception of that film, eventually the TASM timeline and the shared universe it was creating was eventually scrapped. So with Sony retaining the rights to Spider-Man and with the MCU's growing success, the two companies entered talks to once again reboot the character and bring Spider-Man legitimately into the MCU. Let's now, do it legit. Entrance. Do yeah. it legit. Keep it above board, people. Come on. Work exactly. it out, Sony and Marvel. Get a get, get with a mediator. Get in a room. Shake hands. Stare deeply into each other's eyes. Work it the F out. And we appreciate it. Come on, lawyers. <laughs> do it for us. <laughs> do it for the money. <laughs> exactly. We know they it did. motivates you. They did. So, they, are, they already did. They know what they're doing. Cue the entrance of yet another cinematic Spider-Man with Tom Holland, first with a cameo in 2016 Civil War and his first standalone MCU film in 2017 with Spider-Man Homecoming. And all of this back and forth between Sony and Marvel is why after each Tom Holland Spider-Man film, there were rumblings about this being his last appearance in the MCU. A sequel may or may not happen. Contract disputes. All that bullshit that we discussed earlier that usually ruins greatness. 
But since both companies realize they love that money, and with each new MCU Spider-Man film upping the box office ante, eventually pushing profits over the $1 billion mark, it now seems that Tom Holland's Spider-Man is here to stay. They're here to stay. And this whole thing has resulted in a messy history for the character, multiple disjointed retellings of the same story. You might be able to argue that without the cash injection from Sony, the MCU may never have happened. And thanks to clever writing and the introduction of the multiverse or the Spider-Verse, this is there's now a way to tie all of this slop up with a nice, clean, multi-dimensional bow. So even though, as a Spider-Man fan, this has all been a confusing roller coaster ride, it now seems that Spider-Man is his future is more secure than ever. Oh, certainly. Definitely. You know what? I thought the big problem with Taz too, Emma Stone. Tasm. You kill. Oh, Tasm. Did I say Taz? You did. Tasm. <laughs> Spoken okay. like a, someone who hates Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, Tasm too. You kill Emma Stone. Like that's a sure way to, in, to, you know, seal your own fate. Don't leave Spoiler Emma alert Stone for that alone. shitty movie. <laughs> leave her alone. <laughs> oh God, don't start crying. <laughs> All right, so with the uh, Sony Marvel history lesson out of the way, let's talk about Tasm. Since I'm sure most people don't remember, this movie, the original, The Amazing Spider-Man, was released in 2012, directed by the aptly named Mark Webb. Oh, <laughs> Can't yeah. write this stuff. Nope. And starring... <laughs> Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker and Spider-Man has a rating of 72%, which I think would surprise most people because most people assume those movies sucked. I know I did. And it's all based on the second one actually sucking. So this film follows all the classic story beats that everyone knows and loves from Spider-Man. He's bitten by a radioactive spider, Uncle Ben dying in a crime that could have been prevented by Peter Parker, great power, great responsibility, all of that Spider-Man lingo. But it also features a highly endearing and completely believable portrayal of Peter Parker by Andrew Garfield. Who is dreamy? So dreamy. So dreamy. That hair. That blowout. (laughs) (laughs) So if you ask people who their favorite cinematic Spider-Man is, you'll hear an equal amount of people saying either Toby or Tom Holland, at least until the release of No Way Home. And that movie was an eye-opener for a lot of people of how great some Spider-Men can be. Not just Peter 3. He's the best Spider-Man there is. So Andrew Garfield has the best quips. On his very first mission in Tasm, after Uncle Ben's killer uh, is, he's chasing him down and he catches this guy. And the whole time he's fighting, he's talking about the suit and the mask protecting his identity. And uh, the cops show up. And after a bit of back and forth, the cop asks, who are you? And he replies, no one seems to grasp the concept of the mask. It's just like such a casual comment, but it's like perfect Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And there's also a, uh, there's one, there's one moment where a guy pulls a knife out and he's like, not a knife, my weakness, small knives. <laughs> oh, yeah, That's I do remember that. Line. That is a good line. <laughs> and then there's the perfectly delivered crotch as he teabags a bad guy i feel like that's not something you would see in the toby Maguire films probably not even in the mcu yeah it's a, definitely not it's a really good quip and uh one of the complaints i read about the tasm films is that andrew garfield's peter starts off as too cool like he doesn't have bad vision that is corrected by his spider bite he's not getting beat up at school like toby's peter 
and he's already relatively successful as potential love interest Gwen Stacy, played by Emma Stone, who Brett wishes you would all just leave alone. Leave her alone. I love her. <laughs> like that guy that loved Britney Spears. But uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Y'all remember that video? The guy's like, just leave Britney alone. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's classic internet. Yeah, it is. Um, but none of that bothered me. Like, I loved his portrayal. It, he is cool without being too confident. He still makes a ton of mistakes. And uh, his, portrayal, his portrayal of Sp- Spider-Man Peter Parker are completely endearing. He's a person that you would love to know in real life and not just because he might take you on one of those sweet Spider-Man rides through the city, as I'm sure you'd be hoping if you knew Spider-Man. <laughs> I don't understand the logistics of that. Like, you know, what's the um, uh, Mr. Bill in skydiving? Is that when you, you try to like straddle a jumper and then they open their parachute and you oh, yeah. hang on to them and then you can let go? Like, this is not easy to do. It's 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 hard on the old joints. It's hard on the limbs. Um, at the very least, the deceleration. <laughs> That's like, what I'm saying. Which I'm sure his like carbon fiber bones or whatever he has can take it. But can you imagine he's holding you like under the armpits? Right. And he right. fires out and s- swings from a free fall and you just get cut in half by his forearm. <laughs> well, I try to imagine. So if I was like, uh, you know, and, I, and he's kind of like a wiry build. Like he's maybe like a little shorter than me. Like I, he, I, he's like, you are Spider-Man, Josh. Like you are like built like Spider Man, so imagine me ectomorph body <laughs> with my arms around your neck, my legs mm-hmm. around your I waist. I can see it. Yeah, hanging oh, on. yeah. I've had dreams. Yeah, I can like see this. it. I've had dreams. <laughs> and you hold on. Let me get my dream journal out. I can remind myself of how vivid they were. <laughs> and so you're falling from like a forty-story building, and then you kind of you deaccelerate within what five feet? You think? I mean, the G force is a lot enough to cut you in half with my forearm. <laughs> Hey, don't you threaten me with a good time, buddy. <laughs> well, you were already doing that. Uh, so, another awesome thing about this movie and Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man is his gear. So, he has a homemade suit, which I know is part of the Tobey Maguire uh, canon, but his, it just, it's, he's not relying on Stark Tech for his equipment, you know. He creates the suit from... Uh, he picks it up from like a bobsled outfit and makes it himself. Uh, it it looks real. It's not like a CGI skin tight, so you can see it rippling as he's flying, which is such a cool effect. Something that is sorely lacking from the MCU films. I mean, that suit looks amazing, but it doesn't give you a sense of movement like a flapping suit would. And yeah, it's it's always kind of bothered me that uh. None of these spidered men have realized that what you'd really want would be a skydiving free fly suit. It'd be the perfect thing for spider manning. It's exactly like what that it's like a onesie. The only the only disadvantage I could see is that you have this big visible zipper which you would want to hide, but otherwise it's like the perfect Spider-Man outfit. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good point. And um, let's circle back there. I need to know if you have done some research on the plural of Spider-Man, because I think this, this is something that the, the consciousness of today, the, the, our society, we need to have a conversation about what, how do we pluralize Spider-Man? Is Let me it, take a guess. Is it Spider-Man? Spiders, men, Spider-Mans, 
or Spider-Man. You got to hyphenate all of them. Spider-Mans? That doesn't sound right. <laughs> Spiders. It's like a multiple choice test. They give you a bunch of bad options. Yeah. Spiders well, men. Yeah. Maybe you can it. Uh, email at us at uh, it's contentclearinghouse at gmail.com or find our Facebook page or Instagram. If you ha- if you know the answer to this, we'd love to hear it because I, I this confuses me and it's come Clear up it a up. lot recently. It's come it's, it's come up a lot. Spider Man is uh, ravaging the world's psyche. <laughs> so another awesome bit of his tech is his homemade web shooters. Uh, his intelligence is on display more than any other live action incarnation. Uh, he, he's not relying on, like I said, Tony Stark's equipment or his wrists producing non canon webbing. Uh, he's creating everything from his considerable scientific know-how. His webbing is developed based off of an Oscorp microfilament, which is microfilament is something superhero movies like Batman and Spider-Man love. And uh, he modifies it to up its tensile strength, its elasticity, and the ability for it to be fired from his homemade web shooters. And there's this awesome effect, a small blast of red light and a puff of smoke every time he shoots a web. It's very cool, and it adds a small punch to every web shot. It, it feels like the most tactile of any, uh, any web shots in any of the, the films. And... This film also features a relatively unknown villain other than to huge comic fans, Dr. Kirk Connors, uh, a.k.a. Lizard, portrayed by Rhys Ifon. So this character is scary, and he's also sympathetic and athletic enough to give Spider-Man a run for his money on his first outing, which I think uh, s- superhero films like this, like especially Spider-Man, Batman, where you have like this solitary hero that's kind of starting out like this film is essentially Spider-Man Batman begins, but those movies hinge on how good their villain is like how, how well of a foil they are and how, how powerful they are in comparison. So they can play a perfect counter to uh, the hero's abilities. And that's exactly what lizard does. He's just like the perfect Spider-Man enemy for Peter's first foray out into Spider-Manning. Yeah. I, we have talked about this before, the importance of the villain, a good superhero mm-hmm. movie. It, it's almost like reliant on the quality of the villain, 100%. Yeah. And I usually hate an origin story, but uh, both of these movies, uh, Batman Begins, which I mentioned earlier, this reminded me of, and uh, Tasm, they take such a gritty approach. Like the beginnings of a superhero tale, uh, it doesn't, it doesn't really come off as simple rehashes or boring backstory that you have to get through just to see some good superheroing. This one is, it's a grittier, more realistic take. It's less technicolor. Uh, it's darker. The first, it's the first time I've seen Spider-Man portrayed as a potentially scary character. They shoot him in a lot of darkness and shadows and his suit is darker homemade quality to it. He just seems like if you were on his bad side, that's, a scary place to be. And usually with Spider-Man, you're like, he's just this kid. Like he's, yeah, he'll absolutely decimate you in a battle as being one of the most powerful heroes in the MCU, but he's not scary. I mean, I never thought of Spider-Man as being really scary or intimidating, yeah, but he is in interesting. this. Yeah. Bright colors, bright red, goofy quips. And he's, yeah. he's friendly. He's, he's the neighborhood kid. Yeah. That's a good point. 
think he's got a slogan that revolves around yeah, a few of those words you just like said. <laughs> Doesn't ring a bell, though. Nope. Can't, I can't remember what it was. <laughs> no. This film also features my favorite learning the power sequence. It plays on Peter's teenage hobbies, showing his athletic abilities through the lens of skateboarding. So it's basically just him nailing every trick, like ollieing off of two-story obstacles, mixing in parkour with skating, which uh, it brought up the idea to me, an idea I had for Peter if he were a real person. Instead of being a broke high school, college kid, you know, struggling photographer for J.J. Jameson, uh, <laughs> why not be an action sports star? Just seriously, pull your punches with your tricks just a bit and become a highly paid Red Bull athlete while moonlighting as Spider-Man. It's literally the perfect job for him. It's perfect. It's Make millions. Yes, definitely. Yeah. You would not have to be poor anymore, which I guess would take away some of the, the better parts of his Peter Parker's story. Yeah. So this is his first mission and he's still clumsy. He's making mistakes. You really get the feeling during his first big battle with lizard that he's never done this before. He's never had to dive after someone and web them in free fall to save them. He's never fought a giant monster. He's never caught falling cars and rescued people from certain death. It's all very convincing and plays on the best parts of Spider-Man. He's clever. He's powerful, but unfamiliar with all of his abilities He's scrappy, doing everything on a budget of both time and resources and trying to balance a normal life with the life of a vigilante. Uh, it's got, and also the movement. It's got to be what they based the game's movement on. He's such a trick flyer in this. Even when he's rushing towards a fight, he's always throwing tricks. Like this film features an amazing first-person view scene of Spider-Man swinging through the city. It's such a cool perspective. It ends with... Him, swing, him swinging right at a building, flying through the air, and then landing, and you realize what you've been watching has been his his reflection the whole time because he was, uh, you know, he's coming towards this mirror building. Really awesome. Great filmmaking. So I know Tom Holland did, like, a lot of uh, fight training and choreography. Um, I believe Tobey Maguire also did some dance lessons for that, um, that special Spider-Man 3 scene that we all know and love and cherish. That's what made that movie the <laughs> the prize it is today. Absolutely. Now, um, do you have any information on Andrew Garfield and any of the like gymnastics? I feel like he did like a lot of gymnastics. I don't know that for sure, okay. but I have seen a lot of behind the scenes footage of him like doing wire work, like jumps and stuff, like him in the suit. So yeah. I would yeah. imagine that it's uh he had a pretty big part in it. You know, like you can really see his body language in the suit too, which is something that I don't think I never really got that feeling as much from Tobey Maguire. I felt like that could be anybody in the suit and Tom Holland. You see it a little bit, but with Andrew Garfield, his, his eyes are not, they don't emote in any way, but he can portray so much, uh, so much emotion just with his body language. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. That's awesome. And, uh, so I figured I'm going to take a page from Nick's book on the last show and open up the floor to you, rely on you to pad this episode out a little bit as I ask you some questions about Spider-Man. That sounds spiderific, buddy. All right. So who is your favorite <laughs> Spider-Man of the three? You're starting live to, action. You're starting to uh, push me towards Garfield, but I, I would have said um, 
before that it definitely was Tom Holland. I don't know. There's just there's uh, out of three dreamy men, I would say Holland is the dreamiest for some reason. I think I think that I just you know the, it's a that prob- fake accent he does so well. <laughs> yeah. A problem that I I do see with that character's portrayal in the MCU is like it seemed like the tech with his suit just got like too powerful too fast i mean they're you know they're just turning him into like this like uh tony stark level you know his suit just has so many like he's in an iron man suit yeah exactly yeah exactly so uh, that's something that i i think always bothered me a little bit so it sounds like that that's maybe something that you prefer a more um down-to-earth style and i do like my superhero movies to be like somewhat uh more grounded even though that's Kind of the MCU has departed that, but they, you know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so like boring superhero movies. No, but I no, do know what you're saying. Gritty, like Batman Begins style. Like that's yep. more my general preference. Spider-Man is an Iron Man. So like I want to see Iron Man in that, but I don't want to see Spider-Man as much. And in the game, you unlock, there's like 30 different suits and they have every suit from the movies. They have the Iron Spider. They have the Tasm suit, Tobey Maguire suit, all of it. And the, do they have him in his dancing suit? It's an emote. No, oh. <laughs> it's a. Uh, I mean, you can. I've played as all of them because they just look so cool. But whenever I was playing with the Iron Spider, I was like, "This doesn't feel right." You know, like I want to feel like what's happening with Spider-Man is based on him, not his suit. Right. Yeah, that's a, yeah. a good way to put it. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would say Holland, but Josh, you just have a way of convincing me. Also, I'm. Uh, Malleable, gullible, all the bulls. So well, um, I guess I'm just going to switch my opinion to whatever you tell lovable. me. Lovable. <laughs> um, well, here's a question then. Yeah. If you had to separate Spider-Man from Peter Parker, do you think that one of them portrayed Spider-Man better and one of them portrayed Peter Parker better? Or are those two characters like so married in your mind that you just see the two of them as one character essentially? Now, that is a really interesting question. I actually, <clears throat> I feel like we've already uh, hinted at some spoilers here. Can I, can I say something? Uh, uh, spoiler alert. Okay. Say what you're spoiling and warn everyone. <clears throat> I am spoiling the new Spider-Man movie. So Don't t- go too deep on that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> well, there's a, it's, if I... If you've been on the internet, I'm sure you've seen whatever Brett's about uh, about to mention. Well, the way that the uh, three multiversal spider characters are introduced in that movie, actually, uh, I think that there's some some metaphors there, uh, some intentional writing. Um, Excuse me. So it seems like Andrew Garfield, uh, his portrayal um, in Spider-Man No Way Home, he shows up as Spider-Man. And I think that that's basically a representation of in his universe. Like he lost as Peter Parker, like he failed as Peter Parker and he is like lost. Leave Emma stone alone. Well, exactly. And he blew it. He blew it. He's dead now. (laughs) Um, He's the worst. He's the worst Spider-Man. You're right. Now, whereas Tobey Maguire and it's even shown in no way home, you know, his Spider-Man, like he has found like a work life balance that's healthy. Like he said, it's it was difficult to figure out with MJ. Like they went through a lot of trials and tribulations as we watched in the original trilogy, and he showed up as Peter Parker. Like he is Peter Parker first and foremost. That um, is his priority. And then he's kind of like 
like Spider-Man is on the wayside, but he's found a way to prioritize uh, himself as Parker um, at the beginning. Now with Tom Holland's character, like we have finally put the uh, keystone cap on this fantastic MCU trilogy where he is growing into himself, right? Like he is growing from essentially a school aged child into a grown up man that will be, uh, you know, a true a man leader. Boy. <laughs> a true man boy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, like, I'm really excited to see a future Tom Holland version of Spider Man because I think that they're, I think that they um, had a beginning, a middle, and an end with those three movies with his evolution as a student and as a superhero, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had. Uh, homecoming, you know, you had, I mean, he basically was like going to prom and you had him like studying abroad. I mean, it's really about his growth and evolution. Um, and then of course, with the latest installment, you have him, um, you know, looking at colleges and, um, navigating relationships and like adulting pretty hard and also getting some great mentorship from various, uh, iterations of himself. So, you know, the word is still out on him on as to, uh, you know, whether he's going to be putting his focus as a as a Spider-Man or as a Peter Parker. But I think that they did a great job, like blending both of those. And I think I'm guessing that that was super intentional in the new Spider-Man movie, the way that they introduced those other uh, Spider-Mans. Spidered men. Spidered men. There we go. <laughs> so you see them, like with Tom Holland, then you see them as, you really can't be Spider-Man without Peter Parker and vice versa. And, totally. Uh, totally. Yeah. I think that they had a great balance of the two. But like, I mean, I, I would agree with you that like Andrew Garfield, like his his spider portrayal is fantastic. And I think it is, you know, the, it, you just lo- like a, per, me personally, like the second movie was crap, essentially. And so you, it it's kind got of, some great Spider Manning in it, though. For sure, for sure. I fast forward and just watch the like three Spider Man scenes in the yeah. two two and a half hour movie. I mean, that's the and, thing that's uh, a bummer is like amazing. a great performance, a great storytelling, great you know character acting can be sort of lost in just like the movie itself being craptastic. Because mm-hmm. I want to watch a movie that's good and watch Tasm. All right, I'm going to. <laughs> it's been a while since I've seen it. Honestly, it's been a long time. Yeah, it had been for me too. I was pleasantly surprised. Well, how about this then? What's your favorite suit across all of the Spider Verse? Uh, definitely Miles Morales graffiti into the Spider Verse. I know you said live action, but well, do on. them both. That is objectively amazing. Uh, well, what, I, the what about style live of Into the Spider Verse? Um, just as a whole, it's just like you've covered it on incredible. this show. I did cover it on the show because it's one of the greatest movies ever. Um. Gosh, I see. I just like don't know the suits that well. Like I haven't played a PS5 like six Spider-Man game with all the well. You've got Tobey Maguire's mirrored web suit, so with the thick raised webs. Mm -hmm. You've got Andrew Garfield's uh, homemade bobsled suit, which in the second film has, I think, the coolest looking eyes. I'm not trying to sway your decision here, but it's got the best (laughs) Spider-Man eyes. And then you've got. Uh, Tom Holland's his homemade suit, his advanced suit, and then Night Monkey, and then oh, the yeah. black and red Spider-Man suit, Iron Spider as well. Wait, was I mean, the Night like Monkey? Are you talking about in No Way Home when it's like blacked out? 
Yeah, stealth yeah, suit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stealth suit. I, I mean, that was freaking dope. That like it is that really to me. Cool. I, you know, you were talking about how Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man had kind of like a spooky, you know, these uh, more scary like vibes. I felt like that blacked out suit had like kind of like a black neon like film noir like vibe to it, and that was it's an cool. assassin suit. Definitely, it's something yeah. you'd expect to see a villain in, which is really cool. Other yeah. than the Spider-Man eyes, for sure. If they had changed the eyes, because Spider-Man eyes, they don't look like bad guy eyes. Yeah. You know, the way they curve up. If you had changed the eyes to something else, maybe like a, like a eye bar or something, you know, then it would look like a bad guy suit. Well, there is, you know, there, when he activates the powers in, um, which, which is it that has a childish Gambino, um, uh, homecoming. It is, it is homecoming. Yeah. You're right. Oh my God. That's such a great movie. That's, Honestly, that might be one of my favorite Spider-Man movies just because of the villain. I absolutely loved Vulture in that, and I think it has some of the best acting. Like, one of the best and most frightening scenes in all of the MCU, honestly, is when he is in the back of the car. Mm. And uh, who's the actor that plays Vulture? He's in uh, Birdman. Yeah, Michael Keaton. You know, and- Batman? <laughs> yeah. one of One of the Bats men. <laughs> batted men <laughs> batted men there we go <laughs> into the That's batverse ridiculous. into the batverse yes please i'll take that um so michael keaton is is putting together that this kid in the back seat is taking his daughter, you know, the, 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 the kid that's taking his daughter to prom or homecoming, whatever it is. The kid that's banging his daughter <laughs> that night after prom. Hey, they weren't, they weren't screwing, man. Just, he's too screwing. <laughs> <laughs> How PG 13 of you. <laughs> um, but that scene where it's just like Michael Keaton's expressions pulls the gun on him. Oh my God. And like, I think we can hey, all Peter. relate to like being a teen. Well, at least a whoever has once been a teenage boy can relate to like being a teenage boy, meeting like your first girlfriend's dad and just being super intimidated. And like, now this is just like, takes it to the next level. Like, you know, if you have the strength of Spider-Man and you're like, just generally a good guy, you wouldn't be in like necessarily like physically intimidated by anybody, except for maybe your arch nemesis, the vulture Mm -hmm. that you've already like lost a horrible fight to, you know, that's, Oh, that's such a great scene. Anyway, well, that what was rolls the question? perfectly. <laughs> well, the next question was, "Who's your favorite villain?" And you know what? As much as I do love Lizard in Tasm, my favorite villain is also Vulture. Hey, he's a walking man. He's just trying to do right by his family. Is this one of your world-renowned horrible accents? Im- horrible impressions. <laughs> <laughs> They're world-renowned for being <laughs> awful. Terrible. Hey, people in Australia listen to this. So it's true. Who is point, listening to this show in Australia? It's so weird. You tell me. I don't know. But uh, yeah, Vil- uh, Vulture is. I th- I love like what you're saying. The fact that he's Peter's girlfriend's dad. I mean, it's like <laughs> the last person you want is super powered arch nemesis. And the scene where he pulls the building down on top of Spider-Man. It's probably like, it's like Spider-Man's lowest moment in homecoming where he's basically thinks he's going to die because he's getting crushed. It's like such a scary move. Mm-hmm. And again, a terrifying thing for your prom dates dad to do to you. Yeah, that's, that's a ouch. Um, I, I would like That'll to say you. though, I would like to say new, uh, favorite Spider-Man villain. It's gotta be, the uh, most recent Green Goblin. 
That's pretty good too. My God. If anything could top Michael Keaton's performance as um, well, I'll go too deep into it. We've already got our quota of spoilers. Okay, okay, okay. I know, I know, I know. But yes, also great. All right, you opened this can of spiders, so hey, I blame you. I was trying to get you superpowers here. I was thinking maybe one of them's radioactive, doing you a favor. Uh, yep, yep, yep. So, last question. Uh, I said that my favorite non-MCU live-action film is Tasm, but I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite Spider-Man film across the Spider-Verse, not including Into the Spider-Verse? Not incl- Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I didn't write that. I just came lot, up with that just There's now. a lot of rules to this game. <laughs> Honestly, yes. honestly, see I, Appendix A for the full <laughs> list of rules. I mean, I feel like I need to rewatch all of the spider mm-hmm. spidered movies. Yes, you're right. Um, okay, because I feel off the like, top of your head, what's your favorite? <laughs> I mean, I really love Homecoming, but I mean, No Way Home. It's pretty good, man. I mean, it's, it's gonna be hard to beat that as it the uh, greatest. It's the greatest film in human history, <laughs> which is exactly why I had when I was putting this my thesis together for this episode. I had to add the qualifier for myself: best live action non MCU film because it's hard <laughs> to beat the Citizen Kane of our time. It is. It is well said. Well, I think you really nailed this episode, Josh. <laughs> you well. Let me wrap this thing up. And then you can Let's go watch all the Spider-Man films. I love it. So viewers felt that the Tasm films were out of touch, boring, bloated, and unnecessary with the reboot coming just five years after the re- release of the so-so conclusion to Sam Raimi's mostly perfect Spider-Man trilogy. And to be fair, most of the arguments, most of those arguments do apply to Tasm too. Although that movie does feature, like I said earlier, my favorite mask across all the franchises and some fantastic Spider-Manning, it just wasn't that great overall. But the first film is so good. And Andrew Garfield is not just Peter 3. He's believable, lovable, and intimidating all at once. So the misconception that Andrew Garfield was a subpar Spider-Man comes from the shitty second movie, and people tend to retcon that shittiness back onto Tasm 1. And that's like saying... Toby was a bogus Spider-Man because his third movie sucked. None of that is Toby or Andrew Garfield's fault. They didn't write or direct those films, and Andrew Garfield is endearing all the way through. So if you love Spider-Man, which I bet you do because you're a human with a pulse and you're listening to this nerd show, give one of the best live-action Spider-Man movies another chance. And hold out hopes for the ending of the trilogy, as I've seen recently, hashtag make Tasm 3. But in the meantime... Watch Tasm. <laughs> wow, Josh. Very interesting. So what I thought at the beginning might just be another Andrew Garfield spider movie apologist uh, <laughs> finding. Uh, Turned out to be an Andrew message. Garfield hand job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, if history is any indication of your uh, abilities as a contentologist, you are right again. I haven't confirmed this yet because it's been so long. So many spider films have come out since I have watched uh, Andrew Garfield's first spider movie, Tasm. Tasm. Tasm one. I I I forced. I promise you um, that I'm gonna have to go back and I'm gonna just watch them all. Toby Maguire. Get ready for an orgasm, buddy. <laughs> 
Well, on that note, thank you, listeners, for tuning in again to uh, the Content Clearinghouse. We look forward to uh, bringing some more shows your way. I think with our busy schedules, whether it's me joining Josh or Nick joining Josh or Josh just playing with his (laughs) spiderology by himself. Um, we are definitely going to bring some shows to you. I think it's going to be every other week, but we look forward to uh, uh, pumping some spider info right back into your ear holes. So make sure you tune in soon. Uh, you can connect with us on social media. You can also email us. I mentioned it before, contentclearinghouse@gmail.com. But thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Actually, no, we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs> Good correction. <laughs>